Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, again, my name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah uh, chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 2 uh, there in a few minutes. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, you know that we started into a new series on Isaiah and the prophets, and that last week we asked the basic question, uh, what is a prophet? Uh, what did prophets do? And how do uh, Old Testament prophets and prophecy uh, compare to New Testament uh, prophets and uh, prophecy? And if you weren't here last week, uh, please go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, Megan Albion shared her testimony at the end. And I really feel like last Sunday in many ways was a breakthrough Sunday for us in the life of our church. I feel like God really just kind of broke through and led us into a new territory in a fresh way. And I think in the coming weeks and months, our hope, our prayer, our expectation is actually that that's going to grow. Um, not that, oh, last Sunday was an awesome Sunday and look what God did and, and look what happens. Uh, we'll remember that in the months to come. No, I, we, we want to kind of approach it differently and say, I, no, we think that God's actually leading us somewhere uh, and that we should come into this Sunday with those same sort of hopes and dreams and expectations and actually expect Tim to establish something new in the life of our church as we press forward together. And many of us have been uh, starving for just a greater life in the Spirit uh, to be present within our church, to see God just move in power uh, in and through the life of our church. And some of us have been hoping and praying for that uh, since we planted the church two years ago. Uh, and many of us felt, oh, wow, last Sunday, God did something. We've had some good Sundays uh, in the life of our church, but there was something unique uh, about last Sunday uh, that he did in, in leading us forward. And so uh, we really feel almost that God's kind of changed the church uh, and, and change the spiritual atmosphere uh, of our church. And um, even one of the things that's come out of that is God has really stirred uh, what I would describe as this sort of spirit of revival uh, in, in many of us that we see it's, it's kind of been slowly growing over the last 10 days, the last two weeks, just this, this fire, this hope, this hunger uh, for something greater, uh, something that transcends even uh, our own experience and uh, the life of our church. We want to see God move in power in this city. Uh, and so we're, we're continuing to uh, just kind of lean on God and trust that the good work that he started last week uh, is, is just going to increase as we head into these next few weeks and months. And, and so I kind of came in uh, this morning thinking like, who knows what's going to happen this Sunday? Like, I, what a weird feeling for me as a pastor who's used to a certain way of doing things to kind of come into a gathering and say, I actually don't know what's going to happen. I actually don't know what God's going to do and what he's going to put on our hearts and how he's going to speak and how he's going to lead us and, and who's going to experience breakthrough. 
uh, this morning. And oh man, part of that for me is like almost, I have to admit, like confess, it's almost a little unnerving because um, I'm used to kind of planning things out and it's, oh, I think this is, you know, how, how things should look and how things should go. Uh, but I, I think that's how New Testament churches are supposed to operate. I think there's actually supposed to be this, this sort of sense of like open-handedness and expectation. And I don't actually know what's going to happen as we all gather together, as we all begin to press in and worship um, Jesus. But I know through the course of this gathering, I'm going to encounter God. God's going to speak. God's going to move. He's going to steal the show. Uh, and so that's kind of uh, what we are praying for our church and, and far beyond that for our, for our city. Uh, and as a result, we believe that God has something for us uh, this morning. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, pick up in Isaiah 1, uh, verse 2. If you were here last week, we started with the very first verse or two of Isaiah and kind of went from there. Uh, just to recap, Isaiah the prophet uh, has received a message from God uh, for the people, and here's what he says. This is the very beginning of his uh, prophetic message. He says, hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master and the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Before we uh, go any further, I'll ask that you'll join me in a quick prayer. Jesus, we uh, thank you for, uh, for your word, Old Testament and New. We thank you that it is um, God-breathed and profitable. And as we uh, dig into the prophets and sometimes the... Um, what, what appears to us to be the harshness of their message, uh, I pray, God, that we would learn a, a lesson from Israel, that we would see throughout this long uh, history over the centuries with Israel that every time a prophet came, the people either had to harden their hearts and reject you, or they had to soften their hearts and accept you and, and let you usher them in uh, to the new thing that you were doing. And, and I pray that we would have that sense that that same choice is, is before us today. And so would you, uh, you spoke through Isaiah to Israel, but would you also um, speak through Isaiah and the prophets to us? And I pray, God, that you would, specifically for some of us in this room, uh, give us a, a, a fresh uh, vision for the life that you call us to and, and what it looks like to really walk with you in humility. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophet was a man or woman called by God, commissioned, and given a message from God for the people. The Old Testament um, is full of prophetic books, uh, and the message of the prophets all through the Old Testament, spanning the centuries, all sorts of people, different backgrounds, different callings, slightly different messages for their time and place. But all of it essentially falls into two basic camps. Uh, the message of the prophet was twofold. Uh, first off, it was a message of judgment 
on Israel, on her sin, on her idolatry, on her breaking of the covenant with God. And secondly, it was a message of hope. Here's who God is. Here's how much he loves you. Here's what he promises to do in the future. But the reason that the prophet spoke to the people uh, wasn't simply to announce judgment. Uh, It wasn't simply to say, hey, the consequence of your sin is coming and there's nothing you can do about it. They had not come to announce an unbending resolution that could not be altered. They weren't simply giving people bad news. No. The prophetic message was first off a mirror reflecting the sin and evil of the culture back into the face of the culture. Hey, you've lost the plot line, but remember, here's who you are. Here's who you've become. The prophets acted as a mirror, but it didn't end there. The prophetic message was always loaded with a call to response. You've turned your backs on on God, Isaiah says to Israel. You've turned your backs on him, but there's a solution. There's a new way forward. God is calling you to respond. Turn your faces toward God and not your backs. Come to face him once again. And this uh, turning that the prophet spoke of or returning toward God is called repentance. And thus, the message of the prophets was always loaded with a call to repentance, with an invitation, often urgent, to turn from evil and turn back toward the light, to turn from darkness and to embrace life again, to turn your focus from yourself or the idols that you worship and turn your focus back to God himself. In repentance and rest is your salvation, God says through through Isaiah. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. And again, the Redeemer will come to Zion. He will come to those in Jacob or Israel who repent of their sins declares the Lord. Over and over again, through Isaiah and through all of the prophets, there was a call to response. There was a call to repentance. Repentance was central to the message of the prophets. It was God's call to his lost people. And in many ways, it is still God's call to his people inside and outside of the church. But in order to see why this was so central to the call of the prophets, why this has been God's call to humanity all of these centuries, there's actually two important aspects of repentance that I want to highlight this morning. And the first is this, repentance leads to life. As human beings, 
we were born with this inclination towards sin, with this bent toward it, with this hunger for it, toward self-worship, toward idolatry, and away from God. And the scriptures go on to say that the wages of sin is death. Think about that. It means that as we embrace sin, the natural result, the payout, the byproduct, the wages is death. If you squeeze a lemon hard enough, out comes this bitter juice. They're saying it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with, if you squeeze sin hard enough, if you grasp it in your hands, out comes death. And so the call of the God of love has always been to open your clenched fist, to let go of the thing that leads to death, to turn, to return toward the source of life in the universe. And so ever since the rebellion of the first humans uh, in the Garden of Eden, God has been constantly calling people back to the light, back into the life that is in him. And so God told Israel through their very first prophet, Moses, he said this. He said, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live. That's it. That was the message of the first prophet Moses. And it is embedded in the message of all the prophets who follow. Repent, turn back, turn away from darkness and toward the light. Let go of your idols and come back to God. Turn away from death and turn toward life. And in fact, this call to choose life, this call to repentance rings straight through the prophets all the way to Jesus. When Jesus finally arrives on the, on the scene, the first thing he says, the good news, according to Jesus, was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Notice that first word. We love to talk about the other words. I love to talk about the kingdom of heaven. I love to talk about what God's going to do in eternity. I love to talk about that future eternal place breaking into this world in bits and pieces through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I love talking about the kingdom. But look how it starts. Repent. Before you're ready to receive all of the good things of God, there's this act of turning. Turning away from the old self, away from death, away from sin, 
and turning toward God. It's this emptying of the self. If you come full, full of yourself, full of how you think the world should operate, full of whatever, you're not going to be able to receive. You can't. There's no room. And, And so the call of Jesus starts with this. Hey, change course. Turn away from all that unhelpful stuff that's not of God and turn toward him. Let go. Let go of your idols. Let go of your self-worship. Let go of the old way of doing things and get ready to embrace the new. This new thing that God is doing, Jesus is saying, it's right here. It's available to you. It's within your grasp. It's not beyond you. But will you receive it? Will you be open to it? Are you willing to empty yourself in order to receive what God is doing next? When I was uh, coming to faith in Jesus, it was out of a background of atheism. And so when I first came to him, there was... These sort of, this sort of massive repentance that needed to happen. There was this, total, this ongoing, over and over again, as I was learning who Jesus was, there was this, these huge moments of repentance, of doing 180 degree turns. I had to repent over my abuse of alcohol. I had to repent over the way that I governed and expressed my sexuality. I had to repent over these like massive, glaring things, my total lack of faith, all of my idolatry for 19 years. There was these massive things that that in some ways were sort of easy to identify. Whoa, that doesn't line up at all with the way of Jesus. I need to repent of that. And and continually press on to, to welcome in the new things uh, that, that God wanted to do. I had, I had these big moments of repentance at the age of 19. Uh, and the awesome thing is that I've never had to repent again. I just did it once really, really good. And, and that was it for me. No. The things I had to repent of were actually more obvious to me when I was 19, 20, 21, and I could see, well, this is like night and day, black and white, followers of Jesus do not sleep around. Really obvious. Repent of that. Turn. God, show me the new. But as I've gone along the way, the things that I need to repent of aren't as glaring. They're not as obvious. You might not notice them. But the interesting thing is, the more I press into God, the more his light shines into me, into deeper and deeper places, I actually feel the more I have to repent of. So, oh my gosh, Lord, that's who you are. That's your glory. That's your love. I need to repent of the way I handle my finances. Just this week, I had to repent before, before God and before my wife for the way that I talked to my wife. I had to repent multiple times this week of the frustration and anger I can have with with my oldest son. 
you're, oh, you're almost four. Like, can't you figure it out? <laughs> this is literally what's going through my mind. And, and so it's like I go through my day and, and I see more things now. Like they're stacking up like, oh my gosh, like the more clearly I see Jesus, the more I see all of these little things all over the place that don't align with the way of Jesus. And, and so I, I had those initial moments, and I think many of us do, of these big moments of repentance, right? Like John the Baptist and Jesus going to these crowds and saying, repent. I mean, it's this huge, massive 180 degree turns. But repentance, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with our first big repentance when we turn from the old self, when we repent of our life of sin and idolatry and first come to God and, and receive his salvation. There is that, that beautiful moment when we first accept what Jesus did at the cross. We accept his cleansing and his forgiveness and his salvation, and that's beautiful. It, it paves the way for new creation. You actually become a new creation the, the first time you repent and receive the, the forgiveness of, of Jesus. You are a new person. You're a new man. You are a new woman. But we are still called to a lifestyle of repentance. Why? Why? We're already saved. Why would God call us to a lifestyle of ongoing repentance? And as I meditate on that question, I think the answer is that there's still so much that God wants to give us. And, and you can't receive it like this. You can't receive it when you're full. You can't receive it when you're full of pride. And we haven't arrived yet. Well, I'm almost there. But you haven't arrived yet. <laughs> we have so far to go in actually becoming like Jesus in, in every way and in every facet. And, and I just think about that and think, there is so much more that God wants to do. There's so much more that God wants to give. But we have to repent of the old in order to accept the new. You, you, you can't receive the new when you're clinging to the old. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and, and so even this week, I'm, I'm having to go through this, these moments of repentance. God, I repent for the way that, that I often talk to my wife. I repent for the way that I'm dealing with my kids. God, I repent of wanting control over the church where I serve. God, I, I, because I sense that you want more control. You want more control, which means I have to become less so that you can become more. I repent, I repent, I repent. And I'm not like in sackcloth and ashes, you know? It's not this like total self-deprecating. It's not a guilt-ridden thing. I just recognize that there's more. God has more for my marriage. God has more for my parenthood. God has more for us as a church. And if I'm unwilling to enter in to this humble lifestyle of repentance, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. It's going to change the, the course of my marriage. It's going to change the course of our parenthood. It's going to change our experience together as a church. And so I, when, when I feel that pressing on my heart, I, I repent with the authenticity that I know how to muster. And some days it feels more authentic than others. Some days it's easier than others, but I still I have to go there. I, I have to cultivate that 
heart because I know that God has more. When I first started walking with Jesus, I was repenting of, of huge things. Um, and, and, and then it changed and I was re- repenting of smaller things, but in this lifestyle way all the time. And, and I was thinking about that and uh, the kind of the analogy that came into mind is I almost think about it in, in, in this way. I almost think that before we encounter Jesus, each one of us is almost like an old wooden boat uh, that's headed away from God, and it's slowly taking on water. It's old, it's leaky, it's not moving very fast, but it's moving the wrong direction. And if we persist long enough and take on enough water, we drown. Like, that's it. That's sort of the trajectory of humanity. But the first time that we repent and, and, the, and come to God, not only does that represent this sort of 180 degree turn back facing the other direction, but we become new creations as well. And, and the only way to work that into the analogy is almost like saying God gives us a new boat, a, a better boat, one that, that travels better, that's easier to steer, right? But... Now you're facing toward God, you have a new boat, and, and, and God becomes in your life sort of this, this north star that you use to navigate. The Holy Spirit becomes for us almost like a compass that's going to help us steer, direct our steps, give us guidance. And, and so you have all of this available, but you're still a boat on the open ocean, and, and a boat on the open ocean is going to be subject to the tides and the wind and the waves and, and the storms and the cloud cover and all of this stuff that will throw you off course. And so what do you do? Uh, well, now you would use GPS. But what did you do for like most of human history? Well, you, you would have to keep looking at that star. You'd have to keep looking down at your compass and realign. And in fact, the best captains, the most vigilant captains, would be constantly realigning, minute by minute, hour by hour, realigning. And and every act, every shift in course is repentance. That's what it means. And sometimes it feels big and dramatic and you're headed the wrong way. And it's 180 degrees. And other times you're just honing in. God, where, where do you want me? Holy Spirit, guide me. Where's the North Star? I want to head toward Jesus. I want to become more like him. It's an adjustment of course, realigning ourselves with God. And so for many of us who follow Jesus, it's that constant alignment. But the longer you go without realigning, the more you drift, the more dramatic it feels, the more you have to humble yourself to say, well, I'm way off over here. Jesus is that way. I'm going here. It's a bigger readjustment. But whether it's big or it's small, um, as disciples following after Jesus, chasing down that North Star, we are called to lives of repentance. And it's something you do once, often dramatically, when you come to Jesus. And it's something that we do day in and day out. It's a lifestyle that we learn to live, a constant letting go, a constant realigning. And each time you do that, new life breaks in. Every time, oh, that call to repentance can be so hard. 
But what follows is new life. God is eager to give us more. He's eager to give us more of himself. There is so much that he longs to pour out and impart. If only we will come empty-handed. If only we will throw out the old in order to receive the new. Repentance leads to new life. And finally, number two, if you're taking notes, repentance leads to revival. And we may uh, have time to dive deeper into revival next week. Uh, But generally speaking, the repentance of one man or one woman leads to good things for that one man or one woman. There's usually a fresh filling of the life of God, new fruit that begins to um, be born in their life. I don't know how to say that. Uh, they begin to bear new fruit in their life. Um, there's this fresh filling. There's, there's new life that comes in for that one man or that one woman who comes in repentance. But there's something unique that happens when there's a corporate repentance, when there's a communal repentance, when a whole group of Jesus followers enters in to a time of repentance together. When, when a community takes on a humble and repentant spirit, often the effect is far more than just bearing new fruit in an individual. In fact, when communities do it together, it often throws the door open for God to work in miraculous ways well beyond the walls of that community. It it opens the door for God to impact the city and even the nation in which that community finds themselves. Just over 100 years ago, in the city of Los Angeles, there was a revival. God brought about a revival that changed the spiritual atmosphere of that city. And without exaggeration, it changed the world. It was known as the Azusa Street Revival, and God began to move powerfully in a handful of small churches. It started in churches smaller than this one, but he began to move powerfully in a handful of small churches, and by the end, it was an earth-shaping event. The gifts of the Spirit were fully operative, which for that time and place was was completely groundbreaking. Uh, People were literally floored by the Spirit. And none of it revolved around a special leader or a big personality. People would just show up in expectation. They would begin to pray and worship, and God would literally lead the meetings. The Holy Spirit was calling out who should speak, what should be shared. It It just went. And people began to, as this, this kind of fire began to catch and God was moving in power, a word began to get out and eventually people were coming from all over the world to, to these little churches in Azusa that quickly became big churches. And they were so deeply impacted by the work of God in those places that they were changed and they carried this fire back to their cities, to their countries all over the world. And without exaggeration, the entire world was touched and impacted by it, by by these humble individuals who carried this fire back to the places where they lived. 
And uh, Frank Bartleman, uh, one of the leaders who was kind of at the epicenter uh, of the revival, um, always kind of in the background praying, but very much like one of the people who helped bring it uh, to birth from its earliest days. He had this to say about revival and repentance. And this is a long quote. I couldn't help myself, but it's amazing. Uh, And so I want you to absorb as much as you can. And this is what he says. He says, some churches are going to be surprised to find God passing them by. He will work in channels where they will yield to him. They must humble themselves for him to come. We are crying Pasadena for God. That's where they lived. Some people are too well satisfied with their own goodness. They have little faith or interest for the salvation of others. God will humble them by passing them by. Next slide. The Spirit is breathing prayer through us for a mighty general outpouring. Great things are coming. We ask largely or for big things that our joy may be full. God is moving. We are praying for the churches and their pastors. The Lord will visit those willing to yield to him. Ultimate failure or success for God will be realized at just this point. We must stay humble or little in our own eyes. Let us get built up by a sense of our own importance, and we are Next slide. History repeats itself in this connection. God has always sought humble people. He can use no other. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote, When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, says repent, he means that the whole life of believers on earth should be a constant and perpetual repentance. Repentance and sorrow, i.e. true repentance, endure as long as a man is displeased with himself. The desire of self-justification is a cause of all the distresses of heart. Next slide. There is always much need of heart preparation in humility and separation before God can consistently come. The depth of any revival, this is where I want us to pay attention, the depth of any revival will be determined exactly by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. In fact, that is the key to every true revival born of God. Brothers and sisters, we want to see revival here. We want to see God move in power in this place consistently in the midst of us. We want to see hundreds and even thousands swept into the kingdom of God. As Jesus is magnified in this city, we want to see the impossible. So what do we do? What do we do with all of those feelings, with all of those emotions, with all of those desires that we feel God has placed in our hearts? Well, first off, we humble ourselves in repentance. We say, as they did, that we will not be satisfied with our own goodness, but instead we cry, Spokane for God. We cry that out in this place in our hearts, 
for a mighty outpouring over this city. Great things are coming. We believe that. And we are asking God for as much as we can ask or imagine. We refuse to stand in hard-heartedness or self-justification. But instead, we cry out to God that we want more. We want more than a healthy church and a balanced budget and a bunch of people who have manageable sins. Like that, that's not it. That's not going to be enough for us. That will not satisfy this cry, this desire, this fire that we feel like God's beginning to light in our hearts. It won't be enough. We're not satisfied with, with a church full of good people. We want revival in this place. So we say, Jesus, you, you come. Come into this place. Come into our hearts. Come into this community and stir us in, in a mighty way. Because we recognize, as Megan said last week, for those who are here, that revival starts with us. It starts right here with the people who are here on Bloomsday this morning, gathered together to seek Jesus. It's going to be this community and many others in this city that are like it, who, who know what the call is and who know how to respond. The call of God has always been to repentance. From Moses to Isaiah and straight on through to today. And we recognize in the words of Frank Bartleman that the depth of any revival will be determined by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. In fact, this is the key, the key to every true revival born of God. And so, uh, what we want to do here as we end uh, is just create some time and place for us to practice this. And because I don't know about you, but I actually have to practice this. I actually have to allow God to stir my heart for our city. I have to allow him to stir my heart for the lost. How many days and weeks am I just so apathetic? That's my confession. That's what I'm repenting of this morning. I can be so apathetic. Hey, the church is going well. I'm good. Let's coast. I say, God, give us your heart. Give us your heart for the people in this city who don't know you. Give us your heart and your vision for the church that you want. And, and so we want to we practice that heart posture this morning. <laughs> We, we want to create a time and space where we can practice that letting go. We can practice that emptying of ourselves. And we can ask God for the new. We want to empty ourselves of the old so that we can receive the better things that God has for us. And so um, I'll invite you. You don't have to, um, but if you want to, go ahead. You can clear off your lap, and I'll invite those who want to to just stand. Uh, Annie, you can come back up to the front um, and, and maybe just kind of uh, lead us in some in some prayer and worship here, um, and I just know there there's some of us. You can those who are willing can stand now, unless no one's willing, and then you can all sit. You, you really there's no pressure. But if you're willing, if you have the sense that hey, I want more, um, I want to see 
God magnified in Spokane. Um, that, that's what this is about. And so this is, this is a humbling our, of ourselves. This is a realigning of ourselves, of our hearts, of our minds uh, with, with the heart and mind of God. We say, God, we, we want to see your character. We want to see your calling. We, we want your heart for the lost. And so um, for many of us this morning, uh, that, that may start with personal sin. I have it. We all have it. There's, there's no like weird shame in that. But as we enter into this time of repentance, um, for some of us, maybe the thing that's burning most on your heart is personal sin. And maybe that's a good place for all of us to start. Say, God, we're just emptying ourselves. There's this letting go of the junk that we carry. Uh, we turn away from that stuff. We reject it, in fact. And we turn our faces uh, toward you. And, and I know a lot of us uh, can just carry that stuff. We carry around uh, bitterness, anger, anxiety, addiction to pornography, addiction to gossip, whatever it is. Um, and, and it bogs us down and it pins us down and it holds us back from the better things that God wants to give. It starts with conviction, it ends in love. It starts with conviction, it ends in freedom. And, and so we lean into that and say, God, we let go of the old. We let go of the junk. Would you come, Lord Jesus? Would you touch? Would you heal? Lord, we empty ourselves of ourselves this morning in this place. We cry out, God, Spokane for God. Enough. Enough of the heaviness over this city. Enough of the darkness over this city. I want more. Through my own um, personal prayer this week, I felt there were several things. As we kind of uh, work through personal repentance, I felt there were some things maybe we could repent of this morning as a community. And uh, I, I think I have a slide for this. We'll throw a few of them up here. And this conviction actually started in my heart, but it might resonate in yours as well. Uh, elevating our name or our church above others thinking that we're any better than any other community of Jesus followers in, in the city, uh, elevating human plans over the work of the Spirit. When we come into this place, when we gather in our missional communities, as we go throughout our lives day to day, and this one really got sparked by what Megan shared last week, living off the embers of yesterday's fires. And, and so as you work through anything that's on your heart in terms of personal repentance, I, I'm going to invite us into this as well. Let, let's repent. And I'm the first one. I have a role to play in all of these. This was my personal conviction over the week, is that I, I need to repent of this. But there's something that happens when a community leans in together. So I'm going to say a quick prayer for us and then... Um, we'll just take a few minutes. You can stand, you can kneel, you can spread out around the room um, and, and we'll just kind of pray and cry out to God and, and uh, kind of go from there in our worship. <sighs> Heavenly Father, um, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and-